Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to another edition another of BCI, edition of Radio. BCI Radio. AJ, you have to turn down your speakers. <laughs> this is Dan Rubin and AJ Black. I got an echo. I'm blaming you for that because, well, I'm sure it was my computer, which I'm not sure if we were going to have a show tonight. It was 7.58 p.m. and it wasn't done updating. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, what was going on? I I just unplugged my headphones for a second. I have no idea. I I heard myself coming back on feedback, and I have a feeling I know exactly how this show is going to go tonight. Oh, it's going to be what was it, NC State last year? That was a gigantic S show. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it was. It happens in the middle of the year to us, uh, where we've reached that one show when everything just kind of reached the. And it's not that we don't want to do the show. We do want to do the show, and. We, uh, we, you know, we love doing this, but at the same time, you reach a point during the middle of the season where it's the same things over and over, the same negatives, the same positives, and you just sit back, and that's the football team that you are, and for that show for us, it just turns into a, there's, I mean, what are we, I know we're going to give a status update, we're going to run through some of the positions, and we're going to run through the players, but we've been talking about that ad nauseum the last seven weeks, that it's, it's almost like, I'm not sure else people want to say at this point yeah it's going to be the same complaining uh i'm sure clock management will probably come up again um we'll talk about uh, the quarterbacks um and how good the defense is and how good the how uh completely opposite the offense is i I got a feeling that's where the show is probably going to be heading tonight yeah and you know that nc state was the sixth game last year we're going into what is it the the seventh game this or eighth game this year where that's a, I'm sorry the seventh game because BC's only played six Howard doesn't count I I remember everybody saying that Howard doesn't count so uh, we can't count that one uh, but you know they've lost three in a row the offense is finally starting to find its traction but you're going in against a tough opponent this week that has struggled this year they have something to prove you have something to prove. At this juncture of the season, when we're talking about progress, Boston College's progress can't be measured against everyone else's. And again, I'm not sure what if anybody's tuned in, what exactly they want us to say about the about this team. Because if we say they're young, they're inexperienced, they're behind the learning curve, it's going to be the same complaints about this team being a struggle and this team being. Well, the, Steve Adazio stinks, and this stinks, and the offense stinks, and fire Todd Fitch, and, and the play calling stinks. But if we say, well, we go back to the beginning of the year, and we say, well, this team stinks, then we're going to have people saying, yeah, but they haven't played. This is not the same team. This is, it just, it, no matter what we say at this point in time, people are going to complain, and that's fine, but... You know what? What else is there to talk about? I, I, there, there really isn't a whole lot going on for Boston College that we can break down and say, "Well, this is new." Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything that's ne- needed to be said has already been said. So that's 
made this a little bit harder to do. Um, you know, I have to say, I, I went out on Saturday night and I was at a place where I could not watch the game. So I had uh, updates coming to my phone all throughout the uh, beer festival that I was at. And Sunday, I just did not feel up to speed to be watching it. Plus, I didn't really – I had, like, a little bit of amount of time, and I'd rather watch the Patriots, so I, I skipped the game. So, yesterday, I was busy again. I finally watched it today. I watched the full game. And um, I don't know. Like, there was a lot I took out of it, but people are just going to, A, scream at me and call, say that I'm making excuses, B, call me an idiot, or C, or any combination of the two of those. And you know what? I'm a media member now, I guess, so I should probably get some thicker skin about it. But I'm just getting tired of this crap. You know, like, you know, I watch the same games you do. They're a young team. I saw, you know, I was as frustrated as anyone watching Adagio burn all those timeouts at the end of the first half. He looks completely lost when he does that. But how much can we talk about that? We know he sucks at calling timeouts and and end of half adjustments. Um, But... You know, I honestly, I, and, and I'm probably going to be called for wearing rose-colored sunglasses or maroon-colored sunglasses again. I saw progress there, and I think people refuse to see that. Um, I thought Jeff Smith, while he didn't complete a lot of passes, and I didn't expect him to, he managed the game decently. And as a freshman walking into Death Valley, I feel like that's the best case scenario with a kid like that. Yeah, and, and I mean my my takeaway on the play calling has, has been a little bit of this, a little bit different than. And, and I, I said to you, we were talking earlier in the week, and we were talking about offenses and defenses, and I'm going to talk about the offense that I brought up to you that was utterly insane. Um, I'm going to talk about it on Friday in film study just because I saw it and I was just like, wink, wink. I, I thought it was really hilarious and I thought it was pretty cool and pretty nifty. And, and I'm going to talk about it later in the week. But when it came down to, to brass tacks about this, this Boston college team, you know, I get stuck between a rock and a hard place talking about, yeah, the play calling sucks. All right. I, I get that. And I get even, even dissension within the BC interruption ranks. Okay, that I maybe am looking at it from a much more patient view than everybody else. And that includes you, that includes Joe, that includes Grant, that includes Coach, that includes everybody. It includes Balin, it includes everybody. Because I look at this team and I just say to myself, I'm not, again, what have they done to prove to you that Steve Adazio should attack at the end of the first half? They haven't. I, I mean, this team, when we talk about the play calling, you sit the back and you're like, well, I want this team to go for it. I want them to go to the end zone. I want them to bomb it around the field. I want to run this play and do this and do that. They haven't done anything that warrants confidence in that. You, you want them to go for it, but they, I don't have any confidence that if they opened up the playbook that Jeff Smith would drive this team from the 40-yard line, it, it, even from his own 40-yard line, the Clemson 40-yard line or the opponent's 40, down to, to scoring position. And what exactly is scoring position? The field goal unit, while improved on Saturday, stinks. They can't kick field goals. It's the second year in a row. It's the same same song, different verse. And so now we're talking about that the same things. Well, we want them to go for it. We want them to go for it. But then they do go for it. They fail 
because they they run into a wall, they run into this play, they can't do that. And so now you're you're lost and you're looking at it. Well, let's just go in. Let's keep this game close because if we keep this game close, we can you know if we if we turn it over. Like both sides are so jumbled on the offense because the offense has been such a mess. I mean, what do you, what are people expecting Steve Adazio to actually do at the end of the half? They, if if he wants to to bomb the ball all over the field, it's going to fail. If he wants to sit on it, people are going to lose their mind. So he's stuck walking this middle of the road that he's either trying to go for it and then he's mismanaging the clock like his name was Andy Reid, and then he's not mismanaging it because he's going for it. Or he, I just don't get what people are expecting. I don't get what they want. I don't, get, I, I don't really care at this point because if he goes for it and they fail, he doesn't know how to call the plays. If he goes for it and he, if he doesn't go for it at all, people, he doesn't know how to call plays. So either way, he's screwed. And yes, he did mismanage the clock at the end of the first half. About three of the last four weeks he did. I think it was the last three weeks in a row, in our opinion. I don't really think he knows what he's doing because I don't re- at the end of the half because I don't really think he knows what he has for an offense. Yeah, I think the guys on the, on the, TV, and, um, the TV broadcast had brought up a good point. I guess they had talked to Dazio, and he said the reason he's doing this and he's being so conservative is because they're walking into, uh, you know, a rowdy crowd, and he's got so many freshmen out there, and he doesn't trust the freshmen. He knows that they can make a mistake at any moment. And I know that sounds like coaching scared, but realistically, we've seen what Jeff Smith, the mistakes they can make. So I, at, at that point, I see where he's coming from. But, you know, I, I, it's going to happen for the rest of the season. He's going to keep making those calls. And it's going to be really aggravating to the people that can't handle that. And I get it. But, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. He's just, I mean, maybe if the team gets more confidence and he gets more confidence in what Jeff Smith can do, maybe he'll, he'll, he'll pull back a little bit on that. But it sounds like that's part of what he's choosing to do. Yeah, and, and, and we're talking about Jeff Smith, and everybody says, well, I want him to open up the playbook, and I want him to run the ball more. Jeff Smith gained 13 yards on seven carries against Clemson. He he did do a good job running the ball against Northern Illinois, uh, and obviously the Howard game is what it is. He ran in three touchdowns. But I think people who – the same people who want to discount the Howard game are looking at it and saying, well, he can run the ball. Well, he's an 18-year-old freshman with dynamic speed – but there's more to the option than just running the football and taking off of the field. You need to be able to read the tackle, and your read goes against the defensive end or the linebacker who you feel is coming off that edge. The, the defensive end can fade back. The, the linebacker can come in. There's a lot that goes into the, the option offense when you're reading against the defense. You have to read that, and you have to determine, hence the term read option, if you're keeping it yourself, handing it off, or if there's a triple option, pitching it. Uh, and, and I don't think as 18 years old, as a fre- 18, 19 years old as a freshman, maybe he was able to read the defense and run like that in high school. And maybe against Howard, he was able to run because Howard is the equivalent of playing. Um, uh, it's a one double A team. It's like playing, you, it, playing Howard is no different at this point than playing a team like, I don't know, Bryant. Or Bryant would actually probably be better. Or a Division II school like Pace or AIC or one of them because that's the level of play they are. So he's not able to make that read because the game is just moving too fast. 
How do we know the movie? it's moving too fast for him? Well, we can make that assumption because we asked Brian St. Pierre a couple of weeks ago, who I would like to think is a better authority on this than I am, and he said that was the biggest adjustment of his entire life as a quarterback was going from high school to college. So Jeff Smith is very raw. He's not ready, and that he's in a position where he has to play. And quite simply, he's going up against a defense that's loaded uh, any given week. Duke, Wake Forest, and Clemson are loaded at defense. Clemson is especially loaded. I just don't get – are people looking at him and they're thinking that he's Tyler Murphy? Or, like, I just don't get what people are looking at and complain. I really don't understand the complaints. They, they, whether it's Adazio's play calling or it's Smith as a quarterback, they made strides this week. It wasn't enough. And, yeah, they could conceivably lose every game the rest of the way. But they're so far behind the eight ball as a football team that it, I just don't get what people are expecting for progress. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched it, and I thought, again, I'll say it again, I saw pieces of it. And I think there were little mental mistakes. I mean, Clearly, Deshaun Watson torched BC's defense. But, I, but I, again, BC's defense, I thought at certain – some drives did a really nice job against him. But on other drives, he was just dropping dimes on them left and right. And there was, you know, there's nothing Don Brown could have dialed up to stop some of those passes. But, you know, I once that kind of, you know, they got through pieces of that, you, I watched some – I uh, you know, you watch some of the throws that Smith made. There was that drop pass, and they blamed it on him on the on the on the uh, television broadcast. But that pass to Louis Adazio has to be caught. I, I don't know what else to say. That was right there. Um, any any wide receiver should be able to get that. Uh, there was that. There was you know there were all those penalties that were called against BC. And and I was I was I was going off on the G chat as I was watching it for the first time, going, "Holy crap! What the hell are they calling?" There was um, the roughing. Um, well, the rough and the kicker was crap, but, I mean, that was bad on our part. But there were at least uh, two uh, pass interference calls against BC that I thought were really ridiculous. Um, and, and, you know, you see those types of mistakes, and it, that's frustrating, too. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, getting frustrated about the team, I mean, you, you, we yell and scream about Jeff Smith, but it's hard to see it on TV, and it's easy to see it when it's live. But I would have loved to have been able to talk to some people to see how open the wide receivers were because they didn't seem to be existent in many of the plays that they were running. And I have to imagine Clemson's defenders were blo- you know, covering them up, which leaves Jeff Smith with nothing. And, and part of what I look at when I look at Jeff Smith is I see a guy who has a lot of raw talent, and part of me really doesn't want him playing. Now, that's not to say that I, that I want Troy Flutie playing or I want Elijah – I don't want any of them playing. I want Darius Wade to play, but that's just not the not the case. And and here's what I because we saw in the first couple of weeks, and we could see the game plan against Florida. The, the game plan against Florida State was never to go out and punch him in the mouth. The game plan against Florida State was to almost be a little bit Iceman-ish, uh, Iceman from from Top Gun. Is you were meant to hang back, wait for Florida State to do something stupid because you knew their offense wasn't going to score on you, and then open it up and punch him at the end. Keep it close and punch him at the end. Now, there were two plays that, that, took, that out of your, took that out of your ability. One was the fumble by Hilleman that was returned for a touchdown. The second was the injury to Wade. Any chance you had at opening up and, and, and doing some different things went out the window against Florida State when that happened. 
the other thing that that I kind of that I kind of look at with Jeff Smith is I compare him and say, well, who are some of the other true freshmen who played for Bo- regularly for Boston College? I think the last one was uh, the last one was Reddick, and I think maybe Dominique Davis um, played. I don't remember if he was a true freshman AJ when he played for uh, for Boston College. When Crane went think, down. When Crane went down, I think he played as a true freshman six games. Yeah, I think and, when uh, – yeah, he definitely did. Yeah, and you look at the way the true freshmen play under those circumstances, all right? Chase Reddick played against Notre Dame, and then he got hurt. I remember he, he strained – either strained his, his ankle or sprained his ankle. He went 5 for 10 for 72 yards and a touchdown. Whether or not he could have led the way is another thing. He returned two weeks later to play Florida State – he went 9 for 24 for 95 yards. The next week against Maryland, he went 18 for 33 for 189 yards. If you have 18 completions and you have 189 yards, that's okay when you're in a rushing offense, but it was barely 50%. And this is a guy who came in as a much better passer. He was a pro-style quarterback compared to, uh, compared to Jeff Smith, but he did throw two interceptions. Against Clemson, 9 for 16, an interception. Wake Forest, 12 for 16, two interceptions. Duke, he went 12 for 24 for 230 yards and two touchdowns. That was his, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, sixth appearance of the season. And the rest of the way, including the game against Nevada, he didn't throw more than 50%. Wake Forest was really his best completion percentage, but he threw a ton of interceptions. And Jeff Smith is not throwing interceptions but just isn't completing passes. The difference being is that he's throwing the ball away or he's overthrowing receivers, and Reddick threw it to a really bad spot. Either way, it's a true freshman mistake. You go back to Dominique Davis. He threw – We had granted, had a much better offense in 2008, had a lot more experienced guys. I I think about that, that Virginia Tech game in the ACC championship game. He went 17 for 43. We're not talking about true freshmen lighting the world on fire. So when people are saying, well, we should win nine games with a fresh, it doesn't matter. This should have happened. Three weeks ago, they should have installed Smith. Maybe. Maybe. But the offense, when you take away all of the experience and you take away all of the guys, the Hillemans, the Willises, the decent receivers who are hurt, the tight ends, the offensive linemen, it breaks down the offense to realize that this quarterback is not in a position right now to succeed. He's in a position to do exactly what he's doing, which is play just well enough to be called poor in throwing the football. Yeah, and again, I I think the the piece that impresses me is Clemson's an opportunistic defense. We saw that on Saturday. And I thought Smith did an excellent job of not turning the ball over. He, you know, when he got pressured, he tucked the ball and ran. You know, young players, they have that tendency. When they're chased, when they're getting pressured, they make stupid passes. They, they push something that they shouldn't push, and, you know, they make a bigger mistake. And I, I have to say that's a, that even though that didn't, you know, translate to points, I think it was really important to see Smith make those choices. And I think that's a big thing for a young quarterback to do because I think that shows he's got a little brain in there that says, hey, 
you know, just toss it away. It's a safer play than throwing it into double coverage or a guy that's blanketed. And, and realistically, he's not playing any worse than Darius Wade would have at the beginning of the year. When Wade played against Florida State before he was injured, he was 4 for 12 for 40 yards and a touchdown. And the touchdown was because he just threw it downfield, and it was the same, almost the same as a punt because he threw it downfield on fourth down. So Wade, who never really played last year, Smith, who never really played last year. Wade isn't the missing link either. The quarterback position was going to struggle this year, regardless of what was going on. Yeah, I, I think that's the key point. And, you know, the scary thing is you've got to think of what's going to happen next year. But I think with the we still have five five games left where we can build some valuable experience for a lot of young guys out there, especially guys like Smith and, and Outlow and, and – uh, Goins and all those types of players, they need this experience. That offensive line especially needs this experience. Um, and I think that's go- it's going to be a valuable uh, next couple of weeks. And I, I still haven't thrown the season away. I still think that they have a chance to make a bowl, um, even with, you know, they're going to have to have some, some things go their way. But I'm not all doom and gloom right now. And I think, you know, I think people need to jump, step off the ledge a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I when I looked at, when I looked at the beginning of the season, I said this team, what they were going to lose to Clemson regardless of of who was playing quarterback and who was playing wide receiver and who was playing running back and who was. I always felt they were going to lose to Clemson. I think Clemson's going to the national playoff. I think Deshaun Watson had a very good chance at being a Heisman Trophy candidate um, as a true sophomore. And yeah, he is a true sophomore, but he played as a freshman, and he has outstanding skill position guys who don't need development. Artavis Scott is a perfect example. Can you imagine, you know, Artavis Scott, you literally just throw the ball up, and he goes and gets it. And he is a, uh, he's a sophomore, but he played last year and made 76 receptions as a freshman with with Cole Stout and Deshaun Watson throwing it to him. Unless you're getting those types of guys into your program, you're, which you're not getting those guys into your program if you're Boston College. It's just never going to happen. Artavis Scott is going to Clemson, and he's a blue-chip guy who is always going to be good. At the same token, he's got a guy throwing it to him who is always going to be good. That's a great job by Dabo Swinney to get Dabo Swinney to get recruits, to get recruits that are five-star, true athlete recruits. To be honest, Boston College never was getting those guys to begin with. They weren't getting them even when they were, were winning nine games. They're not going to get them now. So thinking, well, we just need to get guys like that, and, and coach can't recruit. That's a lie, and that's just nearsighted stu- stupid. You're stupid if you really think that. Yeah. I, you know what, though? You, you have to look at what positions BC can recruit, and we're never going to get blue chips. But what we can get is we can get go out there and get elite running backs. Look at John Hilleman. I mean, he was he was a four star. He had major offers from all the big uh, you know factory uh, colleges, and we got him. And I think with an offensive like what uh, Adazio is running, they're gonna those types of players are gonna watch BC run the ball and go. You know, do I want to go sit in a spread offense where I touch the ball like two or three times a game, or do I want to showcase myself as a workhorse running back that looks NFL ready at a school like Boston College? That being said, it just like I totally agree with you with with the wide receiver position. That that's the complete opposite side of the spectrum where you know elite running wide receivers are going to look at our program and go, ne- "We're never going there." But we never got them anyways. That's the big thing. We never 
you never get elite wide receivers. You know, with blue chips don't come here from that position. But I, I think we can get them. It's just got to be at different positions. Right, and if, you, okay. and if you think about the difference, if you think about the difference in the running back position, the transition of that, Marcus Outlaw played okay on Saturday. He was offered by Clemson. He was offered by Florida. He was offered by Iowa. Chose to come to Boston College. He's a three-star recruit. He was the best recruit out of the state of Connecticut. He's a he. He is the type of recruit that Boston College gets. With him in the backfield. If they see him in the backfield, people are going to key in on him against an inexperienced offensive line, and they're going to stuff it. But when you add a second running back into the mix, the caliber of, oh, I don't know, Miles Willis, now all of a sudden you're able to do a little bit more in the game. Miles Willis, a three-star recruit, chose Boston College over places like Mississippi State, Wake Forest, Virginia. He was looked at by Houston, Penn State, Florida State. You're, you have the running backs, and at, if they had developed with the offensive line to this point, you probably would have a good running game. But Willis has missed the entire season to this point. John Hilleman is gone. He's, he's out for the foreseeable future. That leaves Marcus Outlaw, and as much as I love Tyler Rouse, as much as I love Tyler Rouse, he, nobody works harder on the field than he does. He's a five foot seven running back or a five foot nine running back and he doesn't have the natural ability to overcompensate where the offensive line might be struggling. He just doesn't have it. It's not his type of game and you're left with him as your starting running back. It's a recipe for we're not gonna move the football. Yeah, I, I think as I hope and, and, you know, and uh, Dazio speaks speaks such high praise of, of Rouse and I respect that. I think he's a good he sounds like a good kid. But I just hope as Outlaw gets, you know, his health continues to improve and Willis gets better. I know he walked off holding his shoulder at the end of the game on, against Clemson. I just hope that those two guys start to get a little bit more into the into the game because, as we saw, Willis he had a 45 yard run against Clemson. He's much more of a home run threat. He's a much more on, on a team like Boston College that needs those big spurt play, like those big impact plays. You need guys like them. You're not going to get those from Tyler Rouse, and I'm sorry. He's a good guy, but, you know, I hope that he just turns into more of a, you know, a change of pace back that gets maybe five, six carries a game. Yeah, you, don't, you don't see the New York Giants spreading their entire offense around Shane Vereen, and I say that because I don't want people to say that I'm making a Patriots reference, uh, but Shane Vereen was never the feature back here in New England. He's not the featured back in, in New York. You don't even see them spread, you know, for as great as Andre Williams was, you need the change of pace back. You need the guy who can, you know, Andre Williams is the change of pace back for the Giants because they have Rashad Jennings in that spread, in that passing style offense. And then when they want to pound the ball, they bring in Williams and, and he gets a few carries per game out of it. You need Tyler Rouse to be the opposite, which is you're going to be a run first, pound the ball type offense with Willis, with Outlaw, with, with Hilleman. The, and, and then you switch it up, and maybe you get a flat pass to Rouse, or maybe they see him, and, and he can gain five or six yards here and there. But he's he can't be your featured back. He can't be in your featured backfield when you have a freshman quarterback that's not going to get him the ball. He cannot run the same lane as Marcus Outlaw or Miles Willis. And you're right, great kid. Steve Adazio loves him. Uh, we, we've all grown very fond of Tyler Rouse in four years. I don't think it's a knock against character. I don't think it's a knock against anything. All I'm saying is that you don't want him as your sole running back, and 
I, I don't think it's I don't think that's unfair to say. At the same time, the offensive line has looked better looked better on Saturday than it did all year. So when people are saying, well, the offensive line can't block, the offensive line can't do the offensive line needed to get chemistry and because they're so much younger, they got it this week they we've seen it start to come forward. They take steps back, they take a couple steps forward. That set, that offensive line on Saturday didn't look terrible. They did not look terrible. They looked bad at times, but they did not look as terrible as we've been talking about them throughout the season. Yeah, and they were facing, you know, we we like to talk about Wojciak and Goodfellas, the two best defensive tackles. Man, that kid Christian Wilkins, the guy that was we were hoping was kind of come to BC. Whew, he's a he's a nasty uh, defensive tackle for Clemson. Um, he's going to be a real stud. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought that they looked better, and it was interesting to see them cycle in guys like Montero and, and Hendren in there more often. Um, I think ATL brought up a, a good point that the biggest disappointment on that line so far isn't even the kids; it's Harris Williams. Yep. You know, he's coming back he's coming back from that injury, and he does not look. I know he's probably the glue to that that offensive line in terms of leadership and, and stability, but he's had some really tough games out there. And I think that's one of those things that, you know, when we talk about guys coming back from injury and, and having a debilitating injury, you see him come back and you think of – everybody looks at things through the professional lens because that's the that's the most popular way of looking at it. And you see guys get injured and they come back – and they're playing with a unit that's the same unit, and it makes them better, it brings them back along, and they recover from injury, they play with injury, and they're just better in that position. Harris Williams departed an offensive line that, even though it hadn't played together, had spent four years at Boston College, two years under Steve Adazio, and got really good. And then I think what what wound up happening is it just, I mean... You you saw what happened. He hasn't been great, and they and they bring in all these other guys, and maybe that's what they do. They bring them together, and those guys form a unit as the season goes on. And Harris Williams maybe winds up rotated out. I I don't want to say that about him. I, I I don't want to feel like I'm knocking anybody, but you know if he's not getting it done, you put in one of the younger guys and let them work together, and you take the initial hit to get better for the future. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the case. You know. Um, all respect to, to Harris Williams, but there's plenty of kids out there right now that are, you know, that are probably ready to play. And I, I think long-term, you know, goals of the team, it, it it's just like you said, it's got to be a better option for BC to, to get those kids together. And, you know, if that's the case, if they can get those kids to really glue, they're going to have them together for three or four years. That's going to be a hell of an offensive line when they get, when they start to really mature. Um, now, Dan, on the defensive side of the ball, Holy crap, Media Desmond had a, quite a game. Oh, he was fantastic. He was he was fantastic. And and I'm really happy that he's that he's gotten back cuz I mean, he's on the other side of the spectrum, which is a guy who gets injured a bunch of times and then comes out and this year's been playing out of his mind. I mean, I, I mean, he's a guy I don't think he's ever I don't think he's going pro, but he's leaving it all out there and god did he play fantastic. Yeah, he he was in the backfield. He had two good shots on Watson. Um, I have to look at the stats. I think they're both sacks. Um, but he's just a physical beast out there, and he's you know with his size, he's got good movement and good moves. I've just been really impressed with the way he's playing. 
on a, on a defensive defensive line. And uh, I'm really glad after those just two really hard injuries that he's been able to put that together. Now the guys on us on the, on the, sh- on the TV cast were saying that they think he could go in the pros. I'm not a hundred percent sure of that, but maybe he could, he could maybe squeak in. He could be a late round kind of pick. I, I mean, my, my question on him is that with the two injuries, plus he's old for a uh, older, he's going to, by the time he gets into the draft, he's going to be 24. He's 24. His birthday's in September. So his rookie year, he would be 25 because he had the, the red shirt and he had the, the medical red shirt. And, you know, he, his career has been, for lack of a better term, derailed by, by injury. That I think a, a team will probably hesitate to take him. Um, when they look at when they look at his age and they look at development trajectory, but he's a big dude. I mean, he's six foot seven. He's two hundred, three hundred pounds. I mean, two hundred eighty to three hundred pounds. He's really getting after it the last this season, and he's leaving it all out there. If if somebody doesn't take him, I think he's going to get an invite. I think he's going to go to a camp somewhere. Is he going to play at the at the next level? Hey, he's Canadian. I have no problem saying he could wind up in the CFL and be a beast up there. Because even if he can't make it in the NFL, he could make it in the CFL where they rely on fast, big defensive linemen. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you just got to keep building that resume showing, you know, get that film up there so the scouts can see it. Um, I think he's, you know, we've had a lot of fun defensive ends that we've watched over the last year or so that I think have really made, you know, sometimes tough teams more fun to watch. You know, the beginning of the year, it was a lot of Harold Landry. I mean, he even made a good play against Clemson. He, you know, Kevin Cavalick, he's another one. Um, I think we have three defensive ends that, you know, that I could see time in the pros at some point. Um, but, you know, looking at the defensive line, uh, you know, I still think, you know, an interesting question moving forward is the defensive tackles. Uh, you know, Wojciak's graduating. Gutefeld's still going to be there. Um, you know, what do what do we have in terms of depth moving forward? We have Noah Merritt. I haven't seen much of him this year. We've got a couple of other kids that are, you know, really young. But I want to know, you know, I, I always I always worry about, you know, worst-case scenarios with BC. And if if like Wuziak or or Gutefeld, they're in you know tough positions. They're bigger guys. Their bodies are, met, are you know have a tendency to break down a little bit easier than some of the other guys. What would happen if BC lost one of those two? Well, you got to go. You got to go looking in, into your into the guys you recruited. Which I know that you you look at some of these guys. Noah Merritt is is really the first guy who's going to jump up and he's going to play next year because he's a junior. He'll be a junior next year. He will play. But then you get Joe Vitello. Out of out of New Jersey, he's a big guy, defensive lineman, six four two six, and the guy who who I think is going to be a name just to keep an eye on uh, is Kevin Cohey, um, local kid, West Roxbury. I think he went to Zavarian. He's small. He's six foot two, two fifty seven, but that's the type of guy that fits into the middle of these defensive line. A guy like a uh, you know guy that you look at and you say, well, the defensive ends are big. The defensive tackles, I mean, he steps in there. Kevin Kavalik, he's he's the same size Kevin Goey is Kevin Kavalik. So you might see him get in there. He'll get blown off the ball a little bit as he transitions, but I think that's the key is that that's when your linebackers have to stay better. That's when your defensive ends have to get better. That's where your cornerbacks will be. 
a little bit better so that they can step up and make the play when a guy on the line. Right now, the strength is in the front seven. And when you look out at the defensive backs, when they went one-on-one against Clemson and the, and the defensive line couldn't get into the backfield, the, off- the, defensive, the defensive backfield got absolutely just shredded. And it was the first time all year it happened. It was the first time that, it, that that's what happened. And we really saw the youth and negativity. But those guys are all back next year. I, I think the only one who's not there is Simmons. I really think yep. that it's uh, I really think that that defensive backfield is then going to take a step forward and make up for the fact that maybe the defensive line isn't as good next year. Yeah, I think there's a lot of talent, young talent on there. Cam Moore made a couple nice plays um, against Clemson. You know, just looking forward, um, it'll be interesting to see against a team like Louisville. You know, just moving ahead a little bit here. Louisville is not the type of offense that Clemson is at all. Um, their quarterbacks, you know, they're going to psych, you know, they're going to cycle in. I watched them play Florida state and they cycle in court, different quarterbacks. They kind of do a little bit of what BC did um, in terms of just, you know, putting in different quarterbacks over and over again. Um, but they, they also, the part that, that worries me about moving, moving ahead against this game against Louisville is they got this uh, run, uh, wide receiver quick, I believe his name is. Yeah, James Quick. Quick. Uh, he he reminds me a lot. You know, he's a big, scary threat that reminds me a lot of Artavis Scott. Um, and I worry about how this, you know, the defensive back backfield is going to handle a guy like him. However, that being said, Louisville does not have the the quarterbacks to get him the ball like Clemson has with uh, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, no, and and the the guy the guy who scares me a little bit in this whole in this whole equation is Kyle Bolin. Uh, Bolin did not play as much as the other guys. I don't think he played at all against Florida State. Lamar Jackson did go 20 for 35 against Florida State and threw for three touchdowns. He's going to be the guy who's really airing it out. But if he, if for whatever reason, BC can render him ineffective, there's you can you the game's going to go to Bolin. It's not going to go to Bonifon. Because i got to be honest, Bonifon can't complete a pass. He's just not that good. So I don't think you can trust Bonifon enough against Boston College. And Bobby Petrino, if Lamar Jackson's game goes to hell, is going to pull a trigger on him. The question is, how far into the game is it when, when you get to him? So I think if you get him rattled early, he did not play well against NC State. He did not play well against Houston. He Everybody wants to make a big deal about him against Auburn because he ran for 100 yards. He threw the ball like crap. He did not play well. He played well against Florida State throwing the ball. Okay. Your point. He he played well against Florida State throwing the ball. Yep. Yeah, I I think he's not, you know, he's – I think – I still believe that BC has an elite defense. I just think that we ran into one of the best offenses in the country – and the way that our offense is working, it just, it, it just, they left the defense out there too long and, and, you know, provided Clemson too many options to, to punch holes through it. Um, I don't think Louisville's going to be able to do that. I think it's going to be a lot closer game. I think Louisville um, is much more pedestrian on offense than they were last year. They don't have those home run threats like uh, Devontae Parker like last year. And um, I think our defense will be much better match, a much better matchup against them. On, on Saturday. Yeah, and, and you have to think that they're going to change it up knowing that if you go one-on-one against Quick, that, that he's going to burn you. 
Um, I really think that the BC is going to play a lot more zone to get Simmons more involved on the uh, in pass coverage. I feel that over the middle, if you start to play a little bit more too deep zone, it is going to open up underneath. But you have the linebackers there in coverage. It's going to help the defensive backs who maybe can't go one on one against guys like Quick or Jalen Smith or Mickey Crum or or whoever it is that that's playing um, that that's running up the field. And then you have a guy like Simmons covering deep. You'll be okay. Will you get burned? Maybe. I I I I don't foresee it not happening. I think it might happen. I think it's a very good chance it happens. But I don't think Louisville should scare Boston College fans as much as Clemson did. Like I said a couple weeks ago, uh, and I said it on Clemson radio. I said it on our radio. I said it all over the place. I said you don't earn the number one defense by accident at this point of the season. And even if you have had one bad game, there's no reason why you can't go into the game expecting Boston College to play well on defense. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be uh, what we're going to be ex- what we're going to see on Saturday. It, and I, again, it's going to go. It's going to always go back to, and and I hate bringing it up because it's going to get the trolls rolling again. That offense. It's going to be the offense. What they're able to do if they can put up some points. Honestly, if you were to tell me they were going to put up 17 points against Clemson, I would have been ecstatic. I knew they wouldn't win with that many points, but that's still great. Now, if they could put up 17 points against Louisville, I think they'll be in business. Oh, yeah. If they put up 17 points against Louisville, and here's the thing. If you can put up 17 against Clemson, you can put up 24 against Louisville. And and I and I would like to for people to take that away, that this offense is moving forward. The wide receivers are not very good. Uh, they just don't have good receivers. All the good receivers are injured right now, and, and quote-unquote good. All of the guys that, that John Meter Perel told us before the season to watch, they're all off the field. Borgerson, uh, Garrison, Glines. Everybody was high on Ben Glines. He's redshirting this year now because he, he was hurt. So, you know, now we're left with – who are we left with? Instead of having those true receivers, we're left with Elijah Robinson, who didn't play receiver for Boston College at all in the fall. I mean, he's a true – he's a freshman, true freshman. He, he's not going to be effective because he, he's just starting out in his first snaps. You have Thad Smith, who's pretty good when he gets – you know, who can sometimes get open. You got Chris Callanan, who does a lot with a little. Uh, he's he's a lot like Alex Amadon, a poor man's Alex Amadon, where you were pretty poor with Amadon to begin with. And then you have two guys that I honestly believe are not true receivers and are it, it probably shouldn't be in the pass pattern. I know one big shocker, Dave Dudek, and then the guy who I really think is not a wide receiver and shouldn't be used as a wide receiver is Sherm Alston. I don't think putting Alston yeah. in the pass plan has done squat. I don't think he's as dynamic as a player as people made him out to be. I think that his reputation came from one play. I know I've said that before. And until he proves me wrong on that and is able to, to, make, to shake and bake and make someone miss, I'm going to keep saying that because he hasn't done anything to impress me this year. Yeah, I would say bench. He's got he's to find the bench uh, for a while. You know who I would throw out there who, who sees some playing time? There's two guys I would throw out there more often. Michael Walker, uh, who's been to a kick returns. He, they put him in, in uh, certain pass plays last week. I think he has more of an opportunity to get the ball than Sherm or Dudek. And um, uh, Harrison Jackson. 
Uh, again, he gives you a little bit more on the size. I think they need a little bit more size out there. Um, you can't have Sherm Alston, who's like five foot three or whatever he is. You, you, um, who's under six feet, Thad Smith, who's just barely over six feet and Robinson, who's around six feet. You need a bigger guy out there. And Harrison Jackson's like one of the only ones I'd like to see him out there. Another guy. And I hate to say it that I, I don't want to see out there as much either. Who hasn't really done all that much. Bobby Swagger. He just, I, I don't I don't know if it's him, if it's the injury. He just doesn't seem to have any movement left. Um, he's not very quick. Um, I, I I hate saying that. I just I just think maybe it's you know he his time is kind of getting kind of cut short here. Yeah, and and I think and I think Harper agrees. Yeah, Harper stock. <laughs> my my whole thing is that the guys. The guys who are there and the guys who are making who are making comments about their reputations aren't built on successive like people are blaming the play calls to get that those guys aren't getting open or people are making the are saying that the play calls aren't highlighting them or maybe they're that that play call was the right play call at the right time and they're building reputations that or people are building hype and reputations for some of these guys that doesn't really exist and and I realize we've been horribly depressive this this episode we've said that we've said that they're moving forward and now we're ripping everybody down but you know we see some of the things that we're seeing and we're seeing some of the guys that you know we're seeing out there if you swap some of that out maybe it's another step forward because some of these guys reputations I'm not sure what they built what they built them on like I get the one play was great you know beginning of the season uh Swigert made that made that great catch in the end zone uh, against Maine. He hasn't. He, I think he's caught two balls the rest of the year. So, looking at this team, you need to take a larger body of work for this season and see what you want to build off of, as opposed to well, this guy needs to do it and this guy needs to do it. Maybe they just can't, and that's where the step forward comes. Recognizing that and moving past that is progress, and that's what BC has started to do with the offensive line, with the running backs, with the quarterback. You identify the shortcomings, and you move forward. Unfortunately, it took seven games to get to progress because of all of the unwinding and rebuilding on the fly you had to do. Maybe it's a little late, but it's not too late. And there's a lot of teams that really stink in the ACC. This is the worst year of the ACC I've ever seen. Yeah, it's what Duke, Florida State, and Clemson, and Pittsburgh, and then a whole lot of mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> the American, the American is a better conference than the ACC right now. I think BC should probably move back to the American. I know we can give Central Florida up. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> there we go. I, in all in all seriousness, right now the American Conference is substan is playing better, uh, better record wise. Are they better? Well, I, I would want to crunch the numbers anyway and see that. But you got three teams that are currently ranked. All three of them are undefeated: Temple, Houston, and Memphis. I know that they've won more games against against Power Five teams than most teams in the ACC have. Yeah, I, they're they're leg, they got some legit teams out there, and uh, it'll be interesting because two of those three teams that you mentioned, or actually all three teams, you know, moving towards the end of the year, uh, the, they're all the all three of those coaches have been named as uh, you know people that could be going to bigger programs. You know, I've heard um, 
uh, what's his name? At uh, I'm blanking his name. The court, the coach of the Temple. What? Um, I've, heard, uh, Temple I've heard him. Rule Matt Rule. Rule, yeah. I've heard him linked to South Carolina. I've heard Houston's linked with USC. You know, they're all over the place. So, unfortunately, they may have a big year this year, but they're kind of poaching grounds for those bigger schools at this point. Yeah, and and Justin Fuente out there at Memphis has has been linked to a couple of spots too. Yep. Yep, I've heard his which, name all over the place too. Which is amazing to me because if you think about it, Matt Rule and um was the former offensive coordinator under Al Golden, but he's all of the players that he's using, the majority of his players this year are Steve Adazio recruits. Adazio can't recruit though. Right. And and I realize that they're playing in the American, but this is a team that beat up Penn State. And they've beaten up a lot of teams down the stretch. I can't wait. If they beat East Carolina this week, I actually cannot wait to see them play Notre Dame. Because if they play well against Notre Dame, those are all Steve Adazio recruits in the upper class. That's what, with development, which if you believe Adazio can develop, which I think he can, those guys, three, four years down the road, that's what you could be looking at. Is yep. Temple is ranked. Yep. They're 6-0. and They're 22nd in the poll. If I told you that Boston College would be undefeated in 22nd in the poll, you'd be pretty happy with that. Yep. <laughs> I can uh, I can only agree with that. And I, uh, I, I think I think we're, we're kind of circling back to what we started with, which is, you know, it's t- always tough to see a team struggle. It's always tough to see a team rebuild. But I think that's where BC is at right now. And I think that's what we said at the beginning of the year. And, you know, when people have the expectations that BC should be 9-3 and three every year, and there are no excuses for that, you, you, you get these bullshit responses that you get right now. Excuse my language. Oh, you know, I, I, we're, I, we're not regulated. So, you know, just to end that off, you know, there. Of course, you can criticize this team. Of course, you can criticize what Adazio is doing. But overall, you have to take a bigger picture of what's going on. You have to take some, you know, context, some contextual clues of what's happened to this team, to say what is ha- why it's happening, and where this team is should be going for the rest of the season. And that's my last thought. <laughs> Yeah, and, and my last thought, and this is and this is how we can round it out, is that I've been preaching and I've been taking and I've been hammered for for being an Adazio apologist. I am. I I, I really do support. I've taken it from all fronts. Uh, it, it is it is what it is. But here's my here's my takeaway. At the beginning of the season, one of the things that I warned against, and maybe I I even underestimated it when I put six and six down as my prediction, I did so thinking that this team was probably going to be worse than that. And I didn't want to say that they possibly could be five and seven or four and eight back in the spring. I said on, on our uh, amongst our BCI guys that I really thought this team was going to go five and seven. I, I, and I said that during the spring practice and a couple of guys on our staff said, no, that's not what's going to happen. This, the, the coaching staff, I think we all underestimated how much of a learning curve it takes for young guys. And I think we underestimated how hard it is to rebuild and possibly just flat out build, not rebuild a program that plays in a power five conference. 
I think we all underestimated it a little bit, myself included. And I think now we've lost some of the innocence of looking at it and saying, this really is a tough job. And we can either sit back and we can say, it's a tough job, or we can sit back and say, well, Baylor is undefeated. Art Bryles is the man. And how come we can't be Baylor? How come we can't do that? We want to be Baylor. We want to be Texas Christian. We want to be Stanford. It takes a long time. And I think people underestimated that. And what I hope the rest of the season is that we've rebooted the expectation and moving forward, we can start to find progress. Now, in three years, it's possible BC struggles still. What I hope is that they struggle to win eight or nine games, but they get some of those wins and they knock off some marquee programs along the way. It's possible that they're still six and six in three years. We don't know. But I would like to believe that this rebuild has started. This is it bottoming out this year. In the next couple of years, if you can have some patience, this team is going to go places. If, and that's really how I feel. I'm not apologizing. I'm not uh, – what, what, what do they tell me on some of the message boards? I'm trying to get close with the Boston College Athletic Department. Not true at all. That's really the way that I feel. And I hope that people out there can get past their short-sightedness and see how hard it is to construct a program. Yeah, and, uh, and I know I said last thought – the people that think that we're trying, and I know I got the same crap that you do. The people that think that we are trying to get close to the BC football department are so wrong. You also need to understand, uh, just from our viewpoint and from what I've heard, that they think that we're too critical of the BC football program. And I'm going to throw some names out there, and this is not to bash them. What BC football really wants is the Boston Globe and Boston Herald, you know, like, uh, oh, John Wofford's playing his brother. Isn't this a great story piece? That's what they want. So no matter what we write, they think we're being too critical of them. So take out the that me and Dan are, are, are trying to get in close with them because we know they're into because they have really thin skin. Excuse me. Sorry, I had to get that out. <laughs> I I I just write what I I just write what I observe and and I don't. I don't write it to, to make anyone happy. I don't write it to make anyone upset. I don't try to troll anybody, save for UMass fans and possibly one day UConn fans. I, I don't try to do that. I just try to take an objective look at it as a football person and say, this is what I see. This is where they struggle, but this is where they're good. But this is what I believe will bridge the gap. And it's not my job to placate either side. And what I hope is that people can read that and realize that what I say in my posts, in what you say, really how we feel about this team. And if they don't, if they don't like it, that we're still going to keep saying the same. I'm not going to tell you not to read me because I want you to read me. But I'm not going to change just because you think you disagree with me. Disagree with me on our message boards. Just don't call me names. Disagree with me. Tell me why you think I'm wrong. Just don't call me names. And that's what makes being a fan of this program really great. And that's that's my yeah, last point. Yep, and uh, so we have a twelve thirty game. Game is on um, ACC Network, I think, uh, or what's going to be Nesson up here? I'm assuming. Um, so you know, last thoughts. I, I I know we will have our prediction threads coming up. Um, I'm hoping that BC. I hope my my big thought, my last thought. I'm hoping that Miles Willis is healthy enough to really be a major contributor on Saturday. I think he really increases our odds of winning a game like that. If he's healthy enough to be 
the, the feature back on Saturday. If he's there, I think BC can win it. If he's not, I'm worried. I'm worried about another loss. Hey, I I don't even know how I'm predicting this one yet, so I'm not even going to try it. But uh, <laughs> we can we can we can send it into the rest of the week and let me get back on that. And while I'm at it, we got to finish bantering because we got that thing done tomorrow. So we got to get that done. Oh, I just crap. I just rem- yeah I just remembered about it. We are way behind the eight ball, so this isn't going to be like Monday hot takes. This is going to be Tuesday night hot takes for people. Uh, when it's scheduled for Wednesday, so there you go, uh, AJ. I know you're uh, you'll be watching the game on Saturday. I'm sure I will as well, um, at least as much as I can. And otherwise, uh, you know, we'll reconvene next week and see if we see if we have a little bit better feelings about this right now because we run into this every year, middle of the year. We get I don't know what the feel is, uh, but we run into the the same talk over and over and over and over. This team has moved forward a little bit. It's moved backwards in some areas. Everybody just cool off, just relax, and let's enjoy the last six, five, get five or six games of the season. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. On that note, I'm going to pitch it to you one last time. Let's send this one into the, into the weekend. Oh, glad this week's over. Go Eagles. <laughs> Go Eagles. We'll talk to you next week, folks. <laughs>